0: here about three times in the last year year and a half or so and uh, I'm always uh, delighted to have him here and as he preaches God's word and uh, I'm I'm proud to call him my friend. We've known each other for many years and so uh, it's good to have you here today Adam to share God's word. Well good morning. That was my test to see if I'm on. send you greetings from Webster County, bid you greetings from Webster County. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn to the letter of James. James chapter 4, we're going to read verses 13 through 17 this morning. and do invite you, when you find your way there in your copy of God's Word, to stand in honor of reading it and that is James chapter 4:13 through 17 James writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we uh, are so thankful that you've given us the scriptures, Father, to teach us that you've not left us to our own devices to figure out how to navigate life this side of eternity. Father, I pray that this book would live to us today. And and Father, I, I pray that you would have mercy on me, that my words would be yours. And Father, as we all see the truth in the scriptures Today, Father, I pray that you would help us to be submissive to its authority in our life. May we bend the knee as we see your truth today, and we ask these things in Jesus' good name. Amen. And you can be seated. Uh, There is an old Jewish adage that says that we as humans plan, and as we plan, God laughs. Now, I'm not suggesting that we extract any sort of theology from Yiddish Proverbs. Certainly our theology comes from the Bible. I only bring it to your attention and start there for the sentiment that it expresses. I believe the idea is that we can all busy ourselves in making plans and may perhaps even feel some measure of control over the outcomes of the plans that we make. But the reality is that ultimately God is in control of the affairs of man. I hope that we will see that in our text today. This morning we approach a passage of scripture that comes from a letter written by the half-brother of Jesus, a man by the name of James. And if you are not familiar with James's letter... James begins by briefly introducing himself in the first few verses. And then he addresses his recipients, which we come to understand to be a dispersed people, a church or churches, it could be a circulating letter. Churches or a church or people that have been scattered likely as a result of persecution. Now, one of the many appealing things about James's letter is its Practicality. In fact, I would commend the study of this letter to each and every one of you because it is so practical. It would seem that every verse that James has penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is immediately useful Useful for each of us as modern day Christians. It, it just sometimes feels like truth upon truth upon truth and it's it's directly applicable as we see each and every verse of this Letter. Now, I, I want to give you a bit of a Bible study tip. One of the challenges that we often face in studying the Bible is facing this reality that the passage that we are looking at, and that would include the one we are going to consider today, we need to consider it within its historical context, knowing that it means something to the original audience and the particular situation that that original audience was facing and then from there we we seek to find a theological truth and once we have that theological truth we are then to cross the divide between the original audience's context and all that would divide us between us and them and then apply that theological truth to us as modern day readers within our context in other words when we read the Bible, it's important that we recognize that there are differences between us and, in this case, the recipient of James's letter. We are separated from whom James is writing by our backgrounds. We are separated by history. We are separated by location. We are separated by culture. And when you study the Bible, you need to take into account those differences. That's important in Bible study. But what I have found about the letter of James is that it is so applicable, it is so practical, it is so timeless, that we can find so much that, that James has written years and years ago, end up addressing the, some of the very same issues we face as Christians. Again, it's just this book with so much practical wisdom and insight into people that are seeking to live for the lord. Now certainly we would say this about all of the scriptures, but James seems to in particular keep everything close to the surface, making it easy for us to grasp and seeing what he is saying to the original audience and then perhaps making application for us today as modern day readers. Well, the text that we are going to consider is no exception. James is going to address this idea of failing to recognize God's sovereignty in making our plans for the future. Now here's my proposition that I hope to support this morning. As Christians, all of life, all of life, including our plans and our endeavors for the future should always be looked at and tethered to this reality that God is sovereign. In other words, we would all do well to recognize that God's plan and his will supersedes our own. This text is very much about perspective. John Piper says, Your mindset matters. This is something that I believe will be timely for each and every one of us this morning. Let's go to our text, see what this would teach us. Verse 13. James writes, Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Now the first thing I want you to notice from the passage is the first two words. That phrase, come now you might be immediately reminded of the prophecy of Isaiah. At the beginning of his prophecy, he writes in 118, very similar language. He says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. This idea of come now, James seems to be calling a particular audience to listen, to pay attention to what he is about to write. You are reading an NIV, it may say, now listen, James wants their attention. It seems in our verbiage that he has a bone to pick with these people and he wants them to pay attention to what it is that he has to say. Now, one of the reasons that it may be that James comes across so boldly So exercised in his calling this audience to his attention. One of the reasons perhaps we find this come now is that James sees the actions that he is about to address as a bit outrageous. Which should cause us to pay attention as well. Notice who he addresses. Again verse 13. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town... And spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Now I think that phrase trade and make a profit indicates to us that it may be that James has in mind here those that would conduct themselves in some sort of business endeavor. Maybe he has business men in mind. It was not uncommon for my study that there would be Jewish men who would have businesses. Even in the time of James's writing, there were those who would have to go and travel and be on the road in order to sell or procure goods. Whatever the case may be, whatever the business that they were in. They were businessmen. Now again, this is where James keeps things on the surface. Where it's easy for us to grasp. We can all envision what James is saying, right? We, we too know of the businessman, don't we? We can envision the man at the airport, suit and tie, briefcase, computer, always looking at the device, maybe checking the stock market. Maybe he's checking to see that he received the latest email from the potential client. We know businessmen, don't we? The picture that James paints is easy for us to see and apply to our modern day setting. Now, notice what these businessmen are doing. This becomes important. Notice that they set the time. It says, today or tomorrow. That they set the place. That today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town. They set the duration in which they will stay. We're going to spend a year there. They even set the outcome. It says that they intend to trade and make a profit. Well, we immediately get the picture, don't we? They have a plan. We might argue specifically that they have a business plan. Now, the question you may have is the same question I had when I began to study this text. What's the problem, James? I, I come back to this come now. Listen up. Pay attention. I've got something that you need to hear. Why are you so exercised over this, James? Why, why the seemingly frustration that you seem to express in the beginning of this passage with the come now? Listen up. What's so wrong, James, with having a plan? This is what these businessmen seem to do. Make a plan. So we ask, what's James upset about? What's wrong with making a plan? Because if planning is is sinful, there's going to be a lot of us in here in trouble, right? You know, you're going to get on the the family group text about October and you're going to start discussing what's the plan for Thanksgiving? What's the plan for Christmas? reality is we all make plans we all have to make plans oftentimes i don't think that's james's problem here exactly in fact i would argue that there can be some virtue in planning and we're going to see as we continue through the text that life is a mist that it's wise to make the best use of our time it's wise perhaps even to make a plan that life needs systems and structures so that you don't waste time. That you don't waste your life. I think we can make an argument from the Bible. That, that planning is a good thing. Further I don't think business planning is the issue. And you should not be about the task of planning business. And making a, a profit. And traveling and all of these things. And In fact in most cases. If you have a job. Your employer. At least in some Careers expects you to make a profit. If you are self-employed, you better make a profit or you're not going to be self-employed or any kind of employed without making a profit. This is how business is conducted. This is how things work. So we can make the argument again that not only planning in life is a good thing, but also business planning is a good thing, a necessary thing. And so the question remains, what is James's issue? What's he talking about here? Why, why the bold beginning of this text with the come now? Well, he mentions a couple of things here in verse 14. He says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. And so we begin to discover why James writes what he writes. You see, these men, it would seem, are, are living as though they know the future. And not only are they living as though they know the future and planning as though they know the future, they are acting as if the future is sure. We might argue that this is presumptuous. And this may very well be James's issue. They are acting and planning in a way that is presumptuous. In a sense, they are acting like God. As if they know the, the end from the beginning. As if they know what tomorrow is going to hold. Only God knows these things. It's, it's as if they, they plan as if God's not even a part of the equation. Now there's something else in the remainder of verse 14. James says, yet yeah, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. And then he asks the question, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So we sort of put these things together and we can kind of understand what James is saying here, right? You're going to go about making these presumptuous plans. You think you're deciding when you'll go, where you'll go, how long you'll stay, when you go. And you've even got it planned how the trip is going To work out. James seems to be saying. That you're making all these. Plans and you're making these plans. Presumptuously. You don't know the future. As a matter of fact. You may drop dead tomorrow. You don't even know. If your life. Is going to exist. This side of eternity. When you wake up. James says your life's like a mist. I don't know. I'm a little bit south. Of you all. I suspect it's been the same here. But it has been a terribly hot summer, has it not? Not only has it been terribly hot, we're somewhat used to that as Mississippians, but it seems that the the heat this, this year got here and it just stayed. It just stayed and it stayed and it stayed and it stayed. And then finally, you may have noticed in the last few days, last week or so, that, that the temperature's dropped. We're in the 90s. I, was, I told the second service, that's like fall for us, right? Yeah, that's better than 103. We're, we're in the 90s. We're, we're, we're going to start drinking pumpkin lattes and things, right? It, it's finally, it seems, I, I, I'm hesitant to even say it, but it seems to, to maybe it's going to cool off a little bit. What that indicates to us is that one day, you and I are going to walk outside to get in our vehicle to go to work. And you're going to notice the coolness in the air. And you're going to breathe out. And you're going to notice a mist that comes out of your mouth when the hot air from your lungs meets the cold air of the atmosphere, right? It's a mist. But it doesn't last long, does it? It's there for only... A second, James says that that life is like that mist. You are here today and then you are gone tomorrow. I got up this morning and I was was eating breakfast. I was watching a little bit of the news. I saw that Jimmy Buffett had died. I looked a little bit and didn't think Jimmy Buffett was all that old. Evidently he had some sickness and passed away. I saw a story on the news about a... A young man who was graduating and his father had some sort of terminal illness and his father's one wish before he passed away was hopefully to see his son graduate. And I thought to myself in about a two minute period of watching the news that I was reminded that life is indeed a mist. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. This is my, my preaching Bible, the one I typically take into the pulpit and so it gets bulletins and various other prayer lists various other things stuck into the Bible and as I was pulling it out this morning I I found a, a bulletin from a funeral that I had preached in the last few weeks and I was reminded again that life is a mist one day you're here and the next day you're gone God is lending us life the next breath you take is not guaranteed. The next breath that you take is a gift from God. And so you can, even today, just like James is addressing these, the recipient of this letter, you can presumptuously plan where you're going to eat lunch, what you're going to do this afternoon, what's going to be on TV. If you're like me, a nap may be in your plans. But then you may... Not even be around. So all of your planning, all of the presumptuous planning you will do, may not amount to a whole lot in the grand scheme of eternity. Now, James is not being morbid, and my intent is not to be morbid as well. What he's trying to get his readers... To understand is that there is a measure of audacity that comes with making plans without recognizing that God is sovereign. And he is in control and he has a will. And he has in mind the number of your days and the purpose of your life. Now, James would correct this type of thinking. There needs to be a better way. And James provides it in verse 15. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And this, this seems to be James's big idea here. Not that planning is evil or sinful. Not that business is evil or sinful. It's this presumption. In the planning, it's your perspective. It's not living your life being conscious of God. It's your mindset. It's not paying attention to that there is one who is greater than you. I don't believe, and I think where we would go wrong is to say, well, I know the antidote to this then. I know the answer. Here's what we'll do. We'll we'll just begin to pepper every single conversation that we have from now on with, Lord willing, God willing. So everything I say, I'll just say, Lord willing. And that fixes it. Sin gone, washed away, right? No issues there. And I don't believe this is what James is necessarily meaning here. It's not so much about the words that are spoken, it's about the attitude. It's about the perspective. It's, a, it's about recognizing that all of our lives and all of our plans and all of our hopes and all of our desires for the future should always be looked at through the lens of God's sovereignty. In fact, it may not be enough for you simply to say, Lord willing, in every single conversation or every plan that you make, certainly when you speak it out loud. Now, James would further argue that not only are we to have this mindset, not only are we to have this perspective, but to fail to do so, James would argue, is sin. Look at verse 16. He says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. James says, to plan presumptuously. About all that you'll do. Oh, the places that you'll go. Oh, the things that you'll do when you get there. And even perhaps thinking about the outcomes that you will produce. To do so without recognizing God's sovereign will in the affairs of man, he says, is actually arrogant and it is boastful. It's bragging. And James says this type of bragging is evil. It's, it's sinful. It's this prideful presumption that James would write against. The failure to be ever aware of God's presence and his intervening and working in the affairs of man. This is about having the right perspective on life. It's about having the right perspective on God. It's about having the right perspective about our own lives, our own frailty. That we are indeed a mist, that we do not know the future. And so it is that as we plan, we need to do so in recognition of God's sovereign will and authority in our lives. Now, at this point, you think, got it. James has made his point. We talked about it at the beginning, that this is surface level. We don't have to dig super deep to get exactly what he's saying and and see his point. We can just move on, James. Write the next line of your letter for us. Move on to the next chapter or verse. But there's a verse 17. James has one more thing to say, and I believe... That it brings about a great deal of clarity to this text. Look in your Bible again at verse 17. He says, so whosoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. There is what we call sins of commission. Sins we commit. Things that we do violation to God's law that are sin actions that we take to lie is a sin of commission to gossip is a sin of commission to lust is a sin of commission it's a committed act but then there's something that we we don't think about all that often most times when we think of sin we think of sins of commission there's what is called the sins of omission These are things that we are supposed to do, but don't. So, for years, in your subdivision, you've talked to your neighbor. Perhaps over the fence, and he's borrowed sugar and the drill from your house many times. And over the years, you've developed a relationship, and you've had enough conversations to know that this is a person that is lost. No doubt inspected the fruit in his life you've you've talked to him and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is not a Christian yet it is you fail to act in sharing the gospel with your neighbor whether it be because you've made the excuse oh I'm just going to continue to build this relationship and and once I've got a a strong connection with the man then I'm I'm going to share the gospel with him well you've known him for 15 years It's time to move. It's a sin of omission. It's a failure to act. It's a failure to do the thing that you know that you're supposed to do. Jesus says, go and make disciples. Tell your neighbor about the gospel. Now, in the immediate context of this passage, James might argue that what we know to do to be good is to be ever aware of God's sovereignty in our lives. That, that we would fail if we were to live out and make plans without recognizing God's sovereignty. James says to do that, to, to live as though God's not sovereign. To not pay attention to God's will. Just to continue to make your plans and conduct your business without recognizing God. He says that would be sin. But I believe there's more here. I don't think that we should separate what James has taught on, on not knowing what tomorrow holds and this idea that life is a mist. I don't think we should separate that from verse 17. See, I think this has everything to do with planning. It has everything to do with how we conduct ourselves this side of eternity as the people of God, as Christians. See, we don't know what tomorrow may bring. We recognize from the scriptures that life is a mist. And that means that should affect our planning. Maybe our planning needs to be a bit different. Maybe our plans, recognizing that life is a mist, should look far more eternal than they do. Maybe what James is is calling us to in all this talk of failing to do what we know we ought to do, and life being a vapor, and not knowing what tomorrow may bring, what what James may be actually calling us to in this is a life of urgency. That there's business to be attended to, and it's eternal business. Charles Haddon Spurgeon is considered the, the prince of preachers. He says it like this. He says, God, help us if we are saved to get at this holy business of serving the Lord Christ. Which far exceeds buying and selling and getting gain as the heavens are higher than the earth. God, help us to get at this holy business of serving the Lord. Folks, if that does not speak to the American church, I don't know what does. He says, let us do something for Christ at once, not putting it off till a more opportune time. Well, when ball season ends, things will settle down and I'll be able to to work at the church a little more, volunteer more, serve more. Maybe I'll have that conversation with the guy at work, the lady at the desk, whatever the case may be. Maybe if I can just get a day to, to myself, get some rest, I've been burning the candle at, at both ends, and if I can just, just get a nap in here somewhere, then, then, then once I'm rested up, I'll, I'll see about this whole GIC thing that's going on at the church. Maybe when, when this bill has been paid and this is off my, my shoulders. And I'm not having to work so much overtime. time. Then, then, then maybe then I can sit down and, and, and come up with a list of people that, that I should be sharing the gospel with. It's putting it off. It's knowing the good you ought to do. But failing to do so. And it is not a life of urgency that I believe that James is calling us to. When we put off the good that we know we should do for a more opportune time. When is that time, folks? When's that day coming? What circumstances have to be perfect in our life for us to be about the Great Commission? We don't know what tomorrow may bring. James says life is a, is a mist. And perhaps it is that our planning needs to be different. That our plans look more eternal. That at the top of that list may not be to change the oil in the lawnmower. But that I have a conversation with the co-worker that I've been putting off. Because we recognize that to fail to do the good we ought to do. For us it is sin. There's good work to be done recognizing that life is a vapor, recognizing that we don't know what tomorrow holds, should reorient how we think, how we plan, how we consider life, how we consider our time. As we plan, we recognize that life's short. You know, that was said of Charles Wesley that he planned out his day in 20-minute increments so that he could maximize every minute of his day to be used by God for the advancement of his kingdom. One of the things that has been very near and dear to my heart lately lately is is building structures and systems, and and I want to be as efficient and productive as I can be. And so I'm always looking and and tweaking and lists and sticky notes and trying to make sure that what, what time I have is, is as efficient as it possibly can be. That being said, I ain't never divided my day into 20-minute increments. That, that's another level, right? We, we, we can argue about Wesley's theology and other things all we want to, but that is Impressive. It's uniquely impressive when you realize that a lot of us are spending four hours a day watching 15-second TikTok videos, right? There's good work to be done. There's good work to be done. Kingdom work to be done, and it is to be done with urgency. It is to be done with a recognition of God's sovereignty. It is to be done with a recognition of And in the span of eternity, life is indeed short. Even if you live to be a ripe old age, it's short. It goes by fast. I love to come to the point for for many reasons. But one of the things that always strikes me, and it did again this morning as I was listening to Pastor Wade talk about being a fisher of men. Just the language that's used in this church. I was looking at the sign in the back on my monitor. Expanding his kingdom across the street and around the world. And what what impresses me about that so much is how much that language is used. How much it, it becomes part of the regular vernacular. The staff and people of this church. I hear it so much. It's starting to sink into my own mind. Advancing the kingdom across the street and across the world. I bring that to your attention because so many opportunities I've seen in this church. So many opportunities to be about the business of the Great Commission. Just, just looking through your order of service, hearing your, your pastors talk. And I think, wow, wh- how, how many places can one person get plugged into this Great Commission? And I wonder how many people will hear this and go home and just do the same old thing. Not recognizing, not letting it sink in, not feeling the weight of James's words here that life is a vapor, that tomorrow's not guaranteed. C.T. Studd wrote a poem, and in it there's a line that says, Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Now, You can go home and you can do the things that you normally do. And I I recognize that there'll be some that, that certainly will. And it may not necessarily be sinful what your activities will be. But it may just be, for some of you, you'll recognize the good you ought to be doing and will fail to do so. And James would say, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that is sin. Your mindset matters. Your perspective matters. Your view of life matters. How you plan and prepare. Your endeavors for the future matters. Your life is a vapor. Ask Jimmy Buffett's family. Here today and gone tomorrow. And there's so much good to be done. There's so much kingdom work, and there's so many opportunities just here in this local church to be about the business of the Great Commission. And for those of you that know the right thing to do and fail to do it for them, it is sin. And folks, may we live with urgency. May we live with urgency. For his glory is our reward. Let's pray together. Father, will you would you be kind in, in the grace of waking up your church to the glories of service to you? Father, I recognize that work has to be attended to business, must be attended to jobs have requirements that must be met. There's, there's things to do in this life, Father, that I recognize must be done. But, Father, there's, there's a bigger mission. And, Father, I, I think certainly there are some, perhaps many, that would recognize that, that their time is, is not used well for the kingdom. There's time for more. Oh, oh, it may mean putting to death some activities that aren't so fruitful. But there's places to serve. There's ways to serve. And if we're willing, there's time to serve. I I pray for the people this morning at Longview Point. Father, I'm so thankful for this church and the the opportunities that abound to be about the Great Commission. Father, I, I pray that you'll send the laborers. For the harvest is certainly plentiful. There's certainly plenty to do. And Father, I, I pray that, that we're not satisfied with just saying, God willing, I'll do this or I'll do that. But Father, that we would recognize that life is missed. And that means I must be about the Lord's business. Father, I pray that you would stir hearts. Father, Father work in a way that would certainly far exceed my capabilities in speaking. Lord, may we be about the business of the kingdom. May may we do something for the kingdom immediately. And Father, may we recognize your glory as our reward. I pray that it be so. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.